How are you doing, everybody? The Chet Calvick Podcast Network. Two Angry Men. A podcast featuring a legendary baseball player and a legendary sports broadcaster. Two Angry Men. And now here's your hosts, Chet Calvick and Denny McLean. Hi, welcome once again. Time for Two Angry Men. How you doing, everybody? Joined up in Motown by baseball's last 30-game winner. And believe me, if they play the national pastime another 200 years, there will never be another 30-game winner again. Naturally, I'm talking about Big Mac, Denny McLean. Yours truly, Chet Kopic, right here in Chicago. We're brought to you by our great friends at American Taxi, Chicago's premier suburban taxi service. Hey, Denny, uh, you played the game, and you understand that uh, the language of baseball and the language of real life are not to be... Uh, uh, really put in the similar vein. For example, Saturday after the Cubs lose to the vaunted Pittsburgh Pirates, a team with a $40 million payroll, while the Cubs are trotting out a dysfunctional ball club with a $144 million payroll. After the ball game, Lou Pinella, 23 years of manager, all those years of player, says, uh, the big hit is really elusive. Ryan Dempster, who took the loss, said, uh, it's very simple. We have to keep on trying harder. Now, can you imagine if a guy was selling insurance for State Farm and walked in and told his boss off of three lousy weeks, I guess it's very simple. I just have to try and sell harder. Well, can you? Uh, it, there's a couple more you can throw in here too. You know, when things start to go bad, well, we got to rally around each other. Yeah, we gotta pull for each other. It is what it is. Listen, we have now, to play them one game at a time. One game at a time. One inning at a time. One pitch at a time. I mean, come on, guys. They're being paid millions of dollars to play baseball, and they need a slogan to go out there every day. Excuse me. Now. Lou, I've always had trouble with Lou, and I know Lou's had some success, but I've always had trouble with Lou and his, uh, what I call a, a phony dog and pony show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've never thought that Lou was really into being a major league manager unless it benefited Lou, namely salary and the dog and pony show, trying to promote himself to his next organization. I never thought he was the right guy in Chicago either. I mean, I, you may remember that you and I have been talking about Lou a long time, and I never, ever thought that Lou could make it in Chicago, nor, nor, nor will he. You know, he doesn't have the patience, and the Chicago fans are pretty smart people. They know a phony $3 bill. I think it's taken them a little bit longer than what I anticipated. And I like Lou personally, but you know Chicago's not the right place for him. He needs to be in a smaller market where people can say, "Oh my God, that's Lou Pinella." In Chicago, they're used to Michael Jordan. They're used to Dick Butkus. They're used to real serious superstar. Mike Lou Dicka, Pinella. right? Mike Dicka. Lou Pinella was a good player, but he wasn't a superstar. He doesn't fit that mold in the city of Chicago. Now, he's got an also-ran baseball team. I don't know what's going on with the Cubs. God knows I've been a Cub fan for 700 years. <laughs> and the damn guys have never won anything. <laughs> I don't understand it. You know, I just don't get it anymore. I, I'm almost at the point that I don't check the box score anymore. I mean... That's how big of a Cub fan. I still check the Cubs box scores every day. I go back to Ernie Banks and Gene Baker and Ransom Handsome Jackson and Dee Fondy, uh, you know, and all the other guys in the, uh, Eddie Pafko, my God. I mean, Bob Rush, that's, that's why I wore number seven. Don Elston. Don Elston. Glenn I mean, Hobby. Right. Uh, I mean, there's one after another and, and we sucked back then too. But, uh, <laughs> 
But you know what? <laughs> At least they had some fun on the field all the time. And let me tell you what the big difference was. We had Jack Brickhouse in the booth. That's what the game was all about back then, Jack Brickhouse. Everybody wanted to watch the Cubs because of Jack Brickhouse. I mean, because we all died with Brick. You know, people used to say, "Oh yeah, we all live and die with Jack Brickhouse." Hell, we died every day with. Hey, 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 hey. There, there it goes. You know, Denny, I, I don't know if you know this. I, I may have mentioned this to you in passing sometime uh, over the years, but uh, my family was very close to uh, to Jack Brickhouse, and Jack naturally, you know, inspired me to uh, hop into this industry. And Jack later became the godfather of my daughter. The oh Cubs, the I Cubs no could have built could have built a 300-foot statue to Jack Brickhouse at Wrigley Field, and it wouldn't have done the man justice for all the baseball fans he created who buy tickets on the north side. You know, there, there's been a number of giant uh, Cub broadcasters. Jack Brickhouse was one. My father-in-law, Lou Boudreaux, was another Magnificent. one. Just magnificent, just a terrific. He wasn't the greatest broadcaster of all time, but you know what? When he spoke, you knew what the hell he was talking about. That's for sure. And and uh, him and uh, Jack, um, God, I can't think of his name. Jack Quinlan. Jack Quinlan. That was the greatest broadcast team in the history of baseball. They did in a baseball game. Just, just a little digress here for a moment. And they did the first bra commercial in a major league baseball game. <laughs> And we've got the tape. I've got, you know what we gotta do? We gotta bring out the tape one day and play it. And it is the funniest material because Brickhouse, I mean, uh, Quinlan and Lou couldn't say anything once they started talking about Sears and the new bra. And for three or four innings, every time they would go to say, well, here's Ernie Bank. <laughs> you know, they couldn't, for three or four innings, they literally could not get it. It's one of the great pieces of tape. And, uh, we got to play it on the show when I, you know, Jenny, what's, what's the killer about being a manager today? And I'm watching this here in Chicago with, uh, Ozzie Guillen, Lou Pinella, you know, reporters arrive at the ballpark four hours up front, say hi to Ozzie. Ozzy says hi back. Lou says hi back. Three hours in front of the ball game. You sit down with the press. You got maybe two, three good reporters. You got about 30 guys holding microphones who don't know a baseball from a hockey puck. Then you got to manage a ball game. Then afterwards, when you just want to be left alone, you got to meet the press all over again. It's, it's gotten to a point in time where, where, where being a manager is no longer about the lineup. You're a public relations man. Oh, sure you speak are. on behalf of the ball club. And looking at Pinella right now, and the guy is 67 years old. He's yeah. no spring chicken. I mean, Saturday during his press conference after they got beat by the Pittsburgh Pirates, this guy looked like Mahatma Gandhi, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's your other problem with the press conferences that they're always having. First of all, you know, Lou has got to, and, and most managers, you got to talk to these guys because the problem is they all come from a little Internet media thing. And all it takes is one little line for it to stick, and it goes worldwide. And all of a sudden, the guy becomes the biggest jerk mm-hmm. off in the history of Major League Baseball. So they got to kiss everybody's ass. Even Lou does it. Lou, Lou says no, but even Lou does it. And that's the problem, I think, with the game today. We have. You're right about one thing. There's a lot of reporters covering games today that don't know the ass end of a baseball bat. Well, and let me ask you this: when you were yeah. when you were playing baseball, on a percentage basis, how many reporters? actually had a legitimate working knowledge of what baseball is all about. And I will quantify that by saying Chet Kopic has been covering Major League Baseball. This is my 41st year of covering Major League Baseball, principally in Chicago, four-year run in New York. 
And you know what? I don't by any stretch of the imagination regard myself as being a baseball expert. Not at all. The game. I know the game fundamentally. I think I could sit in a dugout and call for a, call for the hit and run, call for the bunt, and maybe, you know, know when to bring in a left hander. But do I really know the subtleties of Major League Baseball? No. Reporters don't know them. It's a fact of life. There's only one way you know, and that's if you've played. That's why the game has always been good for a, a former player to come in, and at least he can talk about the subtleties of the game. He can tell you what should happen, although the game has changed 180 degrees from the way it was once played. I mean, hell, they never hit a cutoff man in, anymore. When they steal a base, they just keep going. The catchers don't throw anybody out anymore. You want to watch a bum like Alfonso Soriano. If he hits a cutoff man, they stop the game and have a Michigan Avenue parade. Well, they mark the date and the time down, don't they? Yeah, really. <laughs> Put it down. You know, Lincoln shot by John Wilkes Booth right below it. Soriano hit cutoff man. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know what he's doing over there right now, but, man, I'll tell you, when he's at the Yankees, he could hit. Oh, very, very magic, my friend. Uh, so your, your thoughts, Denny, you have, uh, you have a couple of ideas up your sleeve tonight. Go ahead and uh, bring them to the table. Well, I want to talk about Chicago and LeBron tonight. Um you know, folks, I want to tell you something. I know there's this ugly story going around, and I'm telling you, folks, it's ugly. You will not get LeBron. Chicago is, like we said earlier, is used to the Michael Jordans and guys like that. The bottom line is LeBron is the first player because of the nature of the NBA right now, because there's only one and a half superstars in the game of basketball today. That's LeBron and the rapist in L.A. That's all. Those are the only two legitimate super superstars that people talk about. LeBron being LeBron. Listen, there's only one city in America that he can go to and be almost as big as the city, and that's New York. Chicago doesn't qualify. Uh, Boston doesn't qualify. L.A. doesn't qualify. Listen, if you can do it in the Big Apple, buddy, you can do it anywhere. This kid, by the way, hasn't proven anything yet. Yeah, he can score a lot of points, and yeah, he can throw dust up in the air 15 feet, but he hasn't won anything yet, folks. You say, well, he won 60-some games. That's not what they're there for. They're there to win a championship, and he gets blown out again this year against the Boston Celtics. This kid's got a lot to learn. Now, not only that, but now they're talking about Calipari, this coach from Kentucky. He has to come with him to Chicago. Calipari can't leave until he officially has Kentucky on probation. I thought that was part of his contract. Oh, it's got to be. That's absolutely. You know, I forgot about that. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, Calipari could be in jail if it wasn't for the uh, NCAA. You know, Danny, part of the problem with LeBron coming to Chicago is this. Nobody has stopped to look at the obvious. Derek Rose, to be effective, the young guard who played for Calipari at Memphis, he's got to have the basketball. You watch Cleveland play basketball. You watch the Cavs play. Who controls the rock? LeBron James. Sure. What you're going to have is a major conflict. Two superstars who can't play with each other. Yeah, but see, you guys throw that term superstar around. There's only one, one and a half superstars in the entire NBA. There's a lot of good players. Listen, a superstar has got that charisma. LeBron has got that charisma. Oh, does he ever. Kobe's got some of it, too, but he hasn't got anywhere near what LeBron has. Uh, And you know what? You, You guys throw around that term superstar. I'm sorry. They're very good players, but a superstar comes with all, with the whole circle filled in, 360 degrees of circle. He's the only one in the NBA today that has it. He's the only one that's going to have it for a while because, you know, you need a character to come along. And what's happened in Cleveland with LeBron, 
They've developed this character. He's developed his character. He's become a what the fans want in Cleveland, and I don't think he can do that anywhere else. I don't think the dust thing works in New York. I don't think the dust thing works in Chicago. All of the other goofy goofiness that he does, I don't think it works. I think if he goes to those cities, he better win. Otherwise, they're going to ride his ass out on the next railroad that comes through town. You know, my friend, uh, talking about LeBron, uh Born and raised in Akron, Ohio. That's where the posse is. That's where the homies right. are. That's where the family is. If LeBron goes into New York, you know the New York Post on day one is going to welcome LeBron like he's the uh, uh, the arrival of the Christ child. Then when the Cav or when the Knicks rather open up with a record of 0 2, the New York Post. The New York Daily News, two of the meanest, most blood-curdling tabloids that God ever put on earth are going to take the switchblade and do a number on his spleen. LeBron doesn't know that. Somebody might want to mention it to him. New York will cut him up in pieces. I don't care. You know, and you know, that's a real good point. Cause championship or not, what they're going to do is they're going to take LeBron's posse slash crew apart. They're going to find out everybody in the crew. They're going to find out how many months and years some of these guys have spent in jail. And I'm telling you, his crew is a nasty looking crew. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to put up with that. He has no idea what attention is until he lives and plays in New York every day none of us do unless you've been there i mean you were you were in the new york market yeah i mean it's brutal it's all about it's brutal it is it is life denny denny every friday morning this is no kidding every friday morning i lived in uh, manhasset on long island i would get up in the morning and i would storm down to plandome road and go into my little newspaper shop by the post by the daily news by newsday and by the new york times and the only thing i cared about reading was the TV and radio critics just to see if I'd been ripped? Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. Listen, we got a guy in this town, but name is Eli Zaret, who went to New York. Oh yeah, I remember Eli Zaret. Remember that? Sure. He uh, the first night he was on TV in New York on the NBC station, he does his news at the top. They introduce him at the six o'clock hour. Hey, our new sportscaster, Eli Zaret. After the show was over at six thirty. The general manager came to him and said, Eli, we won't be renewing your contract. That's it. Within the year, he was gone. Gone. I mean, that's how. That's, that's got to be an all-time record. Oh, that's, listen, he wasn't <laughs> off the air five minutes and he was told, don't come back. Now listen, you know who's had a great week last week? Who? Ben Roethlisberger. We, nobody got raped. <laughs> you know, you're brutal. You really are. Now brutal. listen, the others. Hey, you want to hear something that's really sick, by the way? You no, know, here is uh, here is Lawrence Taylor. He uh, oh, he pays three hundred bucks I, to the I, pimp. I now right. now now you have this babe involved who's saying that uh, indeed Lawrence Taylor did not have sex with the uh, the sixteen year old in the hotel room. I was talking to Lester Munson, the uh, esteemed legal expert from ESPN today. Lawrence Taylor, whose rap sheet is two hundred miles long. I'm telling you, Denny, take it to the bank. He's going to skate again. He's a John, but he's going to skate again. Yeah, he's going to skate. He's he's going to get some reprimand of some kind from if in fact this thing proceeds. I think what they're going to do is they're going to have him cut a deal. It'll it won't have anything to do with rape, but everyone will think it was rape, no matter what they classify it as. 
he is going to get charged with something and he be, and you know, the unfortunate part about that is that he becomes a rapist for the rest of his life, even if he doesn't get tagged with it, even if he didn't do it. But can you imagine him telling everybody, well, you know, we went into the room and she took her clothes off and she began to fondle herself. And so I figured I'd fondle myself. So here we are, both in the same room, both naked, and all we're doing is playing with our own, our own ammunition. Hey, does that sound right to you? No, but no. but I've got a question for you. Why would she be protecting him if she is? I don't think it's a kid. I, I know think, why. Why? I know why. Money, honey. The money's already been presented, and she's going to do anything she can to make a score. Watch. Well, watch. In that case, so you know, based on your premise, uh, Lawrence has already taken care of the sixteen-year-old. Right. The uh, the elderly lady who's only in her twenties. She screams bloody murder. The pimp is going to cry out against Lawrence. So right. Lawrence will probably wind up with, uh, oh, I, I'm going to suggest right now Lawrence will wind up with a minor fine and probably three years probation. But he will yeah. wind up, he will, he will wind up with what you talked about. I mean, this, this will not be erased from the, uh, uh, the scorecard of Lawrence Taylor. He no, will forever be perceived as being a rapist. You know, it's t- it's tough to rape a- to walk away from the title of being a rapist, to being accused of a rapist. Kobe Bryant hasn't been able to get away from it. He every time I look at Kobe, all I think about what he did to that 19-year-old girl. Whether it was right or wrong, she said no. That's what she said. We have to we have to assume she was right because oh, uh, Denny Kobe Bryant's a superstar. No, doesn't mean anything to Kobe Bryant. That's, that's Come on. A lot of superstars. Now listen, another guy who had a pretty good week last week was uh, Tiger Woods. Nothing happened to him. No car accidents. His neck is a little sore. But listen, let me tell you what's going on with him. You'll love this. He's announced now he's going to play in the British Open, which is July 15th through the 18th. Mm -hmm. But you know what? As he recovers, let me tell you all of the hard things he has to do every day. He has to take medicine, which will cover up the juice that he takes. He gets massaged, (laughs) and then they said, hey, listen, rest. Now, can you imagine him getting a massage? These guys, they do it. I mean, they do it so right, it's scary. Though. You know, you might be the first guy I've heard actually suggest. The last time, when I was watching Tiger in Augusta during uh, April, watching him in the in the Masters, right. his upper body looked so big. It looked so big. And I'm thinking about the Tiger who ran away and hid back in uh, 1997 when he won by a dozen strokes in the Masters, just absolutely ran away and hid from the field. Denny... I'm sorry. I have no, I have no tangible evidence to bring to the table. But if somebody were to tell me, in the position of authority, Tiger Woods is using steroids, I'm buying. Well, I got news for you. There is what I'm led to believe, and I've talked to several people in the last couple of weeks. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. There's supposed to be a new boutique juice out there that is. Yeah, you mentioned that impossible to detect and they're taught they're talking about half of the league is now using it because guys are getting tests and they're passing with flying colors that's what bothers me the they don't know how to say that and listen we got some we got some guys over here and my uh, my wife even said the other night she said we've got one of the real good hitters young hitters in baseball here cabrera he is some oh, kind terrific. of hitter but boy i want to tell you something all of a sudden he's a monster I mean, you look at him now, he's no longer the fat kid that he was. He could still, he, listen, he could hit as a fat kid too, but he's hitting such shots this year that 
I'm telling you, he's approaching the speed of sound when that ball comes off the bat. And I'll tell you, it just has to be, there's something going on in the game again because the home runs, folks, are going to the opposite field again. And when, and when they discovered all the juice a couple of years ago, all of a sudden, the opposite field home runs stop. All of a sudden, you're starting to see him again. I'm, I swear to you, that's the only way you can continue to hit opposite field home runs is if you got some juice, juice, juice somewhere in your system, and you are croaking that ball out of the ballpark. Now, once again, we say, hey, hey, holy mackerel! No doubt about it. The Cubs are on their way. We want to thank the great people at American Taxi. Hey, you folks out in the suburbs, when you want that great taxi service for the right price with complete courtesy, you always make it a point to dial or. Log on to American Taxi. Let them be your taxi of choice. Up in Motown, we thank our good friend, uh, Denny McLean. I'm Chet Kopic here in Chicago. Our tech supervisor is Mr. Daniel Levy. And we're going to catch you next time around on Two Angry Men. Mr. McLean, uh, the uh, judges have rendered their verdict, and you have registered, as per usual, five stars on a scale of four. Yeah, but this is easy. This is too easy. You know, this is made for us. You have a great evening, young man. And all you people in Chicagoland, I love you. Go Cubs! Danny, you're the best. Take care, buddy.